T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome in to Beers on Us with Mike Lynch and Patrick Harris. Thanks so much for listening. Wherever and whenever you're listening, it's probably beer o'clock, and we've got a lot of good stuff coming up for you right here on the podcast starting right now. One episode under our belts, Patrick, and we are now on to episode two. It's a real thing. It's real. It's really happening. It's happening, and we've got interviews, and we've got beer to taste, and things are going well. We're going to be on location next week. Woo! Things are happening. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> if somebody would have came to me two, three months ago and been like, hey, you want to do a beer podcast? I'd be like, you're out of your mind. Uh, but then when you approached, uh, it was kind of a no-brainer. And so I was Aww. in and after, well, I like you. We've been doing stuff for a while. Uh, and then so it was kind of like a no-brainer for me. And the first one was a lot of fun. And um, I've, I've been excited to hear the reaction from you guys. And please keep rating us, starring us, whatever that stuff is. You can find us, you know, iTunes, Google Play, all that kind of jazz. Keep listening. We're, we're having a lot of fun. We hope you guys are too. And if you listen to episode one and you've returned for episode two, thank you very much. Yep. Keep listening. We're going to have a lot of really good stuff coming for you as the weeks and months move on. But before we dive too much into what's coming up on the podcast today, maybe we'll do this every week at the beginning. Maybe not. We'll see. What was your beer week like, Pat? Um, my beer. Ooh, nice catch there. My I name is hate, Patrick. I know you hate Pat. That's a weird thing. <laughs> my mom calls me Pat. Like I've never introduced myself to anyone like, hi, I'm Pat. I think for me, I automatically go to shorten names for people. Mm-hmm. I think most people do, which is why I try not to get too mad about it. But, but you then got I get mad, mad at me about last it. week. I get mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick. Call Thank him you. Patrick. Don't call him Pat. Thank you. He'll punch you in the face. Thank you. No, he won't. Uh, my beer week. Uh, my last week was, was kind of interesting. I've got a, a new hire. Uh, at the brewery, so, you know, training, stuff like that. Uh, that's always, you know, a fun challenge. And then, uh, I mean, we have one of the biggest events in Oregon throughout the year, and that's the Oregon Brewers Festival, the big one down on Tom McCall on the waterfront. Uh, <clears throat> I've been going to it for years and years and years. I know festivals seem to be leaning more towards kind of the novice end slash the idiots that just want to get wasted. Uh, but I do have a fun time at those. I try to pick times to go when it's not as crowded uh, because I actually just want to taste beers. It's it's a fun opportunity. If you go into it with, with a beer love and an open knowledge, it's fun because you're actually going to try so many beers from so many different breweries. And a lot of times these breweries make beers for this festival. So it's stuff that's kind of short batch run that you're not going to get a ton of. And so that was that was a lot of fun. It was hot. It's always hot, so you got to make sure you drink enough water. And it was great this year because now that we have this podcast going on, you were able to join me down there. I did. It was my first year going to it, and you weren't lying. It was hot. Super hot. I was dripping in sweat from the second I got there, and then I had some beer in me, and it was fine. Yeah, I always feel like it gets a little better once you get a little beer in you. Uh, And then they have the two separate areas, so one is almost completely covered in a tent on the north side, and then the south side Uh, has a tent area, but then has a large portion that's untented. 
And I almost think like that's probably the better side to stay on because, because the tent gets hot. Yeah, the tent gets hot, and there's more people. I feel standing in the north end for some reason. I don't know why that area is always more popular. Uh, but because we south- started on the south end, mm-hmm. and there were lines. There's, I, I assume sure. there's always lines. Yeah, but once we got it, we crossed over to the other side. I was like, I felt like I was in a zoo. Mm-hmm. Just walking around, you have to bump into everybody. People are stopping in the middle of the walkway. You're like, what is happening? It's what it's what uh, I like to joke about. It's like a farmer's market pace when people just like move like slow cattle, and you're just kind of like, hey, can we create an area where you just kind of kind of go? Hey, let me take a picture right as we were walking through a narrow walkway, but we're gonna stop and take a selfie now. And it was like, uh, please move. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, as I mentioned earlier, there was a lot of light beers. Um, there was, there was a ton of fruit stuff, as always. Uh, some cool things that stood out to me. Um, there were some breweries from Baja, California, in Mexico. And uh, I thought that they did most of their stuff was hoppy stuff. I thought it was done really well. Um, I would have liked to taste it more cold and not out of a plastic cup, but beggars can't be choosers. Um, but I thought there was some cool stuff uh, from them. There was a really fantastic beer. Probably my favorite beer of the whole thing was... Uh, Upright, I mean, no shock here if you're an avid beer fan, Upright had a Berliner Weiss uh, with the Brett strain in it, and I think I saw that they brewed the beer in February and then sat on it until July to let that Britannomyces kind of develop a little bit more, give it some funk to it, but it was like 3.6. I tried extremely it. Extremely refreshing. Ah. Yeah, it's not your style. I tried it. It's not my, yeah, you're right. It's not my style, but. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. It was no shock to me. Alex over at Upright makes fantastic beer. Uh, and when it was hot like that, I think I just beelined it straight for that, got the full pour, and just relaxed on it. Well, well, it was only like three six. I made a list of the beers that I tried, and this includes some of the ones that you gave me to try. No, this is just the ones I tried, and I tried some of the ones you had as well. I tried the fifty four forty Rick and Mort Munder. That was great. Um, I tried the Royale Zonkey. I tried the Great Divide, which is from Colorado. Heyday Modern Hazy IPA. I tried Ecliptic Guava mm-hmm. yep. IPA. I tried that, that one too. That uh, we heard last week on the podcast from John Harris that he was making. Tried the Rusty Truck Sugar Brown Ale, which was interesting. They're out of Lincoln City, and that's kind of. I started going on a dark beer train after that because you know me. It picked like, up quickly too. I like dark beer, <laughs> and we we intentionally went and found all the dark beers. So I tried that. I tried the Heretic Goo, and I'm going to come back to that. Tried McMinniman's Jester Stout and New Holland Pretzel Stout. So that was all in a row. And let me tell you about the goo. <laughs> yeah, Mike wouldn't shut up about the goo when we were out there. But, it was, you know, I was glad. I tasted it. It was, it was great. It tasted exactly like an Almond Joy bar in beer form. And I'm so glad I went and got the full four-token cup versus the taster of it because mm-hmm. it blew my mind. It was my favorite beer of the whole day. So good. It was, it was, so many deep flavors. It was good, Mike. You had me try all the dark beers that you got into, and for the most part, they were all pretty good. Uh, the, the pretzel one from New Holland had an interesting kind of salty, crackery flavor to it, which I thought complemented it very well. I think that one was barrel-aged, if my memory's correct. Ooh, I will check for you. I've got the app uh, up right I couldn't here. remember. Uh, but there was a lot of great stuff. That was all. A lot of those dark beers were on the north side of the tent, and then even further down, all the way at the very end was... Not to sidetrack us too much from dark beer, but uh, was one of the another one of my favorite beers that was there was Summer in the Five Hundred Three from Migration. Uh, I imagine you beelined for that. Yeah, knowing Migration, um, I've I've always been a, a big fan of their beer, and I really hope that that beer kind of sticks around in the summer. I want to check out the new Migration location they have out in uh, Gresham. 
Uh, and I'm hoping they have it on for a while. That was a good beer. The New Holland was bourbon barrel aged pretzel caramel stout. It was good. It, it was, was it really was good. good. I would say out of all the dark beers, uh, I liked the McMinimins Jester Stout the least. And not to say it was bad, mm-hmm. uh, but it was my least favorite of the four that I tried. And out of the light beers, I really liked the Zonkey from Royale. Yeah. I think that was a Mexican um, lager style is what they were saying. I don't remember. I don't think I tried it. And I, I really, really enjoyed that one. I'm going to pull that one up. Yeah. Nor- Pacific Northwest Mexican lager. I don't even know what that the means. The brewers <laughs> used Modelo yeast, sea salt, imported from Mexico, and a blend of different citrus. Um, that was really good. I like that one a lot. Cool. Yeah. Royale's a sweet brewery. They're out, at, uh, out in St. John's. So thanks so much for inviting me this year. It was fun. I'm glad yeah, I got no to try all those beers. Plus, you got a kick out of every time I tasted your dark beer. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And you were like, ha, 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 you like dark beer. I'm starting to pull yeah, you back know, in over I know, here. I know, But it was fun. We had a we had a great time. And uh, I, I missed the Wednesday first day, but uh, that's all right. We'll survive. So I did OBF. And I also, for the first time, tried the new Von Ebert in the Pearl District. And that might be a subtle hint to Beer of the Week this Woo! week. Um, but we stopped by there after going to Tilt Burger, which also has a pretty decent little tap list uh, up there. Yeah, Tilt's great. They make awesome food. They do. Um, so that was my weekend of beer, and uh, you got a little hint of what our beer of the week is. Von Ebert opened in the space of Fatheads, by the way, for those who don't know, and um, got a really, really good beer that got me to bring it in for us today. So that's coming up on the podcast, of course. At the end, we will have our beer of the week. Also coming up on Beers and Us today... We will talk with Mike Hunsaker from Grains of Wrath, owner, head brewmaster of Grains of Wrath, formerly of Fatheads, a little bit of a connection there. And uh, we will do our first style-based topic. We're going to be doing kind of general broad topics like we did last week with the culture of beer. We're going to be doing regional topics or state beer topics, just uh, talking about beer from Oregon or Washington, California, Colorado, etc. And we're going to do style-based topics, which can be as broad as lager, to as narrow as what we're doing today, which is very specifically West Coast IPAs. We thought, we thought, you know, we don't want to do styles every single time, but we did think it would be fun to every once in a while kind of dip into a style and just kind of chat about it and talk about the ones we, the, the things we like about it and a little bit of its evolution and that kind of stuff. And we thought there is no better way to start than the West Coast IPA. I mean, most of you out there listening are probably IPA drinkers. And if you're not, you know, everyone else that's an IPA drinker. It's kind of with the plethora of hops that we have from the Yakima and Willamette Valleys, uh, West Coast IPAs are kind of a no brainer for us in Oregon. Well, as I talked about last week with uh, John Harris in the interview and a little bit uh, in the culture discussion is I'm a dark beer guy. Mm -hmm. I go dark beer first, but as I've lived here, which has been seven years now, I've grown to like IPAs Mm -hmm. and oftentimes now, which surprises me still to this day, I will choose IPAs over dark beers if I go out to a brewery or restaurant um, just because I know with certain foods, it'll match better, and it's a little bit easier to drink sometimes if I don't want to get, like, 10% ABV'd on a Saturday afternoon for lunch. ABV'd on a Saturday. I like that thought. Um, so I've, I've kind of— How are you, man? I got ABV'd. I'm so ABV'd right now, man. What does that mean? Don't, don't just, worry about it. I'm just ABV'd, bro. Um, so I started drinking IPAs a little yep. bit more, and, and that's not to say IPAs don't have high ABVs either, because some of them do. But a lot of them are just—they're— they're, they've become for me easy drinking Mm -hmm. the problem for me with our topic today west coast ipas yeah is i still prefer malt to hops so i have found a lot of ipas that i like that tend to have a maltier body that tend to be a bit easier drinking 
and then I'll have a really hoppy IPA and I'll like it, but it won't be quite the same. But I have a feeling that today's topic, West Coast IPAs, is more of the latter versus the former. Yep, that's what touches with me on it. Um, you know, I do understand the importance of malt, and let's not forget to everyone out there making IPAs and trying to cut down on malts. Even if it's a West Coast IPA, there's still a malt present there. Let's not forget malt is is a very important backbone, especially to the IPA style. Um, some would say it at times is more important than the hops. Uh, but in the West Coast IPA, it's very much like there's a malt presence there to give it a body of some sort, but it's very dialed back. In terms of flavor, it's meant to be, it's meant to give it its body, but not really approach it as its flavor. Its its main highlight is those hops. Um, I find that they tend to be very very dry. Uh, this is my favorite style. Um, I not not to shameless plug where I work too much, but uh, I remember I had a wanderlust about four or five years ago, <clears throat> and. If you missed last week, Patrick worked at Breakside. Yeah, and uh, I, I had a wanderlust, and I instantly fell in love with that beer to the point where that's all I'm kind of chasing right now are, are West Coast IPAs. And especially in this in this day and age where we're seeing you know tons of hazy IPAs everywhere and the Brute IPA is starting to come on strong, that uh, if someone out there is making a new, has a new recipe of a West Coast IPA, I tend to gravitate towards it. I think it's because the less malt makes me feel like I can drink more of it. Plus, I love the character of hops and the character of the, the bitterness, the citrus, the evergreen, the pine that I can give uh, is featured more in the West Coast IPA. And I think that's what I dig the most about it. So for someone who still is a bit of a novice about the West Coast mm -hmm. IPA specifically, um, you mentioned a lot of hop and a lot of hot hop flavor with a little bit of malt underneath. Is that really all West Coast IPAs are about is here is the hops and you need to taste the hops. You need to see the combination of the hops. And we want to present, uh, specifically here in the Northwest, what our, one of our biggest farm growing plants is in hops. Yeah. I would say that's definitely the point is to showcase all of these, Great hops. I mean, you will find, you know, I'm people are using all different kinds of hops, but there's ones that I see consistently. It's your Cascades, your Mosaics, your Citras. Um, I see a lot of, I see a lot of Amarillo, a lot of El Dorado, some Simcoe thrown in there, and it's very much to push the flavor of that. I mean, I would say the two most popular hops in most people's palates these days is the Mosaic and the Citra. I mean, I feel like if you if you put if you put on a label, hey, we made this with mosaic and citra or just mosaic or just citra, even if you have some other hops in there, those are the ones that people go, ooh, I like those hops. Whether they know what they really taste like or not, they they, they really dig them. Uh, guilty. Yeah, yeah, and that's fine. <laughs> because because th this week I bought uh, – we'll buy our beer a lot of the times. Me and my wife live in the Burbs, so mm -hmm. we don't have the same options in terms of going to a, a bottle house and getting a lot of different options. Shout out to North Portland. Right, where you live, and it's like perfect for getting all sorts of different types of beer. We're taken care of, yeah. But so I bought one of the Pelican IPA boxes, mm -hmm. and they have in that box, I had it the other day, just a mosaic IPA. Oh, yeah. And I went, oh, that's interesting. And I liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned mosaic hops, because to me, again, I like hops, but an overabundance of hops scares me away. Mm -hmm. But yet when I had the Mosaic, which you said is one of the most commonly used right now and in West Coast IPAs as well, I was like, well, maybe I can dive in a little bit further into that. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, I will always say, you know, there's some people that I've heard, oh, you know, I really don't like Eldorado hops. And, and I never, I can't really listen to that all that much because 
you can make a bad beer with any hop. So it's not the hop's fault, you know, so it's not. And I've had beers that are a single hop citra that is not very good. So the idea that just because it has this hop in it is going to make sure this beer is great is not necessarily true. However, you can see some of these hop combinations that will at least get you intrigued and make you want to try it. Mosaic's a great example from Pelican. I think that beer is great. I've been drinking it for years. I'm really excited. It used to be in 22s. Now they do it in 12-ounce bottles. Um, so that's exciting because it's dangerously crushable. That, that's the thing is I like a lot of the simple hop beers mm-hmm. because it allows me to understand what the flavor profile of that hop is. But when I have West Coast IPAs, like we, like you discussed and like we mentioned, there are a lot of hops mm-hmm. all in there. It's almost like I like to say it's a hop punch in the mouth. Mm-hmm. You take the sip and it's like, whoa, there's all the hops. We got it. We understand what's going on yep. right now. Um, but I like the kind of simple ones because it allows me to taste the difference between them. But I really do have trouble deciphering the difference in a multiple hopped IPA. I mean, for me or any novice drinkers out there, do you specifically have any tips about that? Or are there flavors that you that you look for with certain hops that kind of let you go, oh, hey, I'm drinking a, a Simcoe hop right now? Yeah, um, I don't have the best palate that can just pick out the hop in that specific beer. I mean, sometimes not it's not easy. I mean, some of the um, you know some of the people that I know that can do it have some of the best trained palates of anyone I know. Um, what I'm looking for when I see these is I'm just looking for like consistency and smoothness. I think, you know, that's that's a big reason why, for example, like Boneyard's RPM got so popular in this town and is still extremely popular in this town because it's a West Coast style IPA that uses different hops, but it has this smooth kind of almost soft consistency. It, you know, a West Coast might have a little pine flavor, it might have a little citrus, might have a little both. Uh, but I think what we're looking for the most in it is something smooth but kind of a lighter body that uh i don't even know if i'm explaining Well, that's this interesting best. though because to me that's not what i would consider a west coast ipa just from my experience mm-hmm. is like i said it's a hot punch yeah but you say smooth and drinkable and i go well wait a minute a punch of hops in your mouth to me isn't always smooth it's Here's all this flavor. Right. Ah! Right. But are you thinking, are you incorporating like added bitterness to it? Added like vegetative flavor to it? Is that kind of what you mean when you feel? Vegetative flavor. (laughs) I know. I just make stuff up. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Vegetal, I believe, is the word I was looking for. Uh, I mean, is that what you're thinking of? Are you thinking of like actually tasting hop matter? Well, because I I like the taste of hops. Right. I do. Hence why I like beer. But um, it's almost as if. The first sip you take of a beer like that, it's it's almost overwhelming the amount right. of flavor that you get at once. So when you say smooth, to me it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that with West Coast IPAs specifically because I'm used to just I like them, but mm. I'm like wow, this really flavorful. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I it might just be because you drink them more comfortably. Yeah, it's it's my style. It's my go to style. Um, I mean, I've I've had a ton of great West Coast IPAs. I've had some iffy West Coast IPAs in my day. Uh, I think it is you know one of the more mass produced styles that we do, especially in in the Portland area. Um, I think I'm just looking. I think without thinking of hop to malt balance. I'm looking at hop to flavor balance, and I think that is what I mean when I'm saying smooth. Like when I taste, when I taste like a like a Bodhi Zaffa from Georgetown, 
uh, the which is from where Seattle from Seattle. Yeah, okay. that I mean, it did win a gold at, at GABF in Colorado, which is the big beer festival uh, for the American style IPA, which West Coast IPAs don't for the most part, do that well in that category because they're not more that traditional style. I think Bodie has enough enough of a malt characteristic, but also enough hop going on that that beer, I don't know how to describe this, that that beer has that balance that that there's a little citrus in it, there's a little tropical aspect into it, but it's also not overpowering. That's interesting because you say American-style IPA, mm-hmm. and maybe that's another podcast, maybe we just talk about it a couple of times, but... To me, and, and, and this could just be because we live here, mm-hmm. to me, American-style IPA is West Coast hops. Um, I know there's other beers out there that don't utilize the Northwest hops as much. There's mm-hmm. hops from all over the world, really, that get used in, in beers like IPAs. But uh, to me, an IPA is hoppy, hop-forward, mm-hmm. flavorful. And from the experience I've had the last few years, West Coast IPA-based. Well, the difference, I mean, the big difference between, like, the traditional American IPA is a lot more malt profile. And, in fact, I think you would enjoy American IPAs a lot more than you would West Coast IPAs because American IPAs. But I want to enjoy West Coast IPAs, too. I'm trying. <laughs> well, I know. I don't I don't mean you won't or anything like that. But I think in the American IPA, they're actually, the malt is there to be part of the flavor. It's to give it more body. You get a little more residual sweetness that is kind of meant to balance the hop bitterness to it to try to get to that equal level. I actually find I actually find that there are more approachable West Coast IPAs for my palate because sometimes when I drink American style IPAs, if there's too much of a malt build to it, it's too heavy for me for an IPA. And that doesn't mean it's not a good IPA, but I think that just is emphasizing the fact that I prefer that West Coast lighter bodied hop aggressive. So you mentioned Boneyard RPM mm-hmm. as a classic favored West Coast IPA in this region. Um, It it makes me kind of curious about what common beers, and I say common as in what mass-produced Northwest beers are also considered West Coast IPAs. Because to me, Boneyard's still a very small niche brewery. Mm -hmm. I know they're opening a bigger location down in Bend now. They're they're basically out of a garage. Yeah, it's really cool. You can't even get a pint there. I know. I've I've (laughs) gone there. I've gone there once. Everybody goes in and they're like, oh, I can't wait to get a pint. And it's like, tasters. (laughs) And here's a crowd to go. Yeah. Yeah. Adios. And it was packed when we went there and it was hot. It was because it's in a garage. Yep. yep. Um, Right off the highway. So to me, it's it's a very niche brewery. Mm -hmm. So for those who are like me out there who are just saying, hey, what beers have I had? on a regular basis, whether it's from an Albertsons or a Safeway or Freddy's or whatever, that are West Coast IPAs where you're like, oh, I didn't realize I was drinking a West Coast IPA. Yeah, some of them. I mean, I mentioned Wanderlust uh, from Breakside. Uh, some other ones out there that I've enjoyed lately, uh, Vicious Mosquito from Sun River. Uh, they've got two locations, one in Sun River, one in Bend. Uh, they're making great stuff. Uh, I've I re- been to their Bend <clears throat> location. Yeah. We sat outside. It was kind of it was wintry out. But they had this really cool outdoor area with the heating lamps and the heater mm-hmm. like thing on top of the outdoor area. Awesome spot. Really cool. Yeah, I dig that one a lot. Um, obviously, the guys out at Freem, their house IPA is fantastic as well. You can find that almost anywhere. That's uh, in New Seasons. It's in all yeah, the Yeah, I think you can get that at like Fred Meyer's even and yeah. Safeway and stuff like that. Uh, and I really enjoy Elliot from Ex Novo. Uh, they do that. I believe that's four-pack, 16 cans. Might be a six-pack, but I think it's a four-pack. No, I think it's a six-pack. Uh, but that's really great. Ex Novo's over by the Moda Center. 
Uh, just that's just their house IPA. I think that's fantastic. And then some some heavy hitters on the West Coast outside of this region. Uh, Russian Rivers Blind Pig is an excellent example of a West Coast IPA. Stone's House IPA is also you know kind of a groundbreaker in the West Coast IPA. And then there's a smaller brewery down there, Pizza Port. Uh, their Swami IPA pizza is uh, Port. Pizza Port, yeah. Do they make pizza? I hope. I think so. I hope. So. I would <laughs> With hope a name so. like that. You better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they make a classic West Coast IPA, and you know. Green Flash before they went under, uh, they they were making classic West Coast IPAs. Uh, the Sculpin from Ballast Point, uh, Torpedo from Sierra Nevada. Although I think that's getting a little maltier these days. Well, and, so uh, Alpine Alpine makes a ton of West Coast IPAs. You say that it's getting a little bit maltier these days. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading up a bit on this before we started the podcast today, uh, a lot of the beers that were mentioned as West Coast IPAs, you kind of I don't want to say scoffed at, mm-hmm. but you went. Ah, not really much anymore. Yeah. Uh, one of them was like 10 Barrels Apocalypse IPA was on this list. And there was a Bridgeport Hopsar IPA mm-hmm. on this list. And those are bigger breweries. Mm-hmm. They are bigger or more known breweries. 10 Barrel, uh, as many know, was, was bought out by by Big Beer. And Bridgeport's still local, but really old. One of the oldest breweries. Well, actually, probably the oldest brewery outside of McMinimins in the city. You were saying that some of them are becoming maltier because it's more approachable for the average drinker to pick up and say, hey, I want a bottle of Hopsar because they're not going to be out-hopped by the beer. Yeah, um, you know, I don't know if I would necessarily choose anything specific, you know, in, or in regards to those two uh, specifically. But what I, yeah, I see a lot of them that, you know, 10 years ago could have been, 10, 15 years ago would have been a classic style, classic uh, interpretation of the West Coast style. But I think the evolution of where a lot of kind of younger breweries have gone with the West Coast IPA, that that stuff's also changed. Plus, when people start mass producing a ton, hops get expensive. And sometimes that hop to malt ratio comes back down towards the mean. Uh, and so that's kind of where I see it. I, I find some of the better classic West Coast IPAs tend to be smaller batch styles not that it you have to be a smaller brewery but if you're a big brewery a lot of times big breweries if you uh make a smaller batch ipa uh those tend to sometimes be more of a west coast ipa like let's use 10 barrel for example apocalypse might have been a a great example of a west coast ipa 10 years ago but i would say their joe ipa right now is a way better uh interpretation of that and i think it's because that's made out of the portland brewery i believe so yeah and i and that's given them the chance to yeah dial back the malt a little bit and kind of really emphasize those hops. So West Coast IPA is the first of our style discussions on Beers on Us here with Mike Lynch and Patrick Harris. For me, it's a really tough style to get into, but Patrick, it's his favorite style. It's it's his go-to option. It's my go-to. For beer. If you've got a favorite West Coast IPA, tweet it at us, at Mike Lynch 27 at PDD085. Let us know what you like, and we'll, we'll try it if we haven't. I'm assuming we've probably tried a lot of them, but if we haven't, we'll definitely try it. And uh, let us know what you think about West Coast IPAs there as well on Twitter. Coming up next, interview time. Mike Hunsaker, the owner and head brewmaster of Grains of Wrath in Camas, Washington, formerly of Fatheads, joins us here on Beers and Us with Mike Lynch and Patrick Harris. We are on location in Camas, Washington at Grains of Wrath. And we are joined by Mike Hunsaker, owner and head brewmaster of Grains of Wrath. 
Thanks for having us out, man. Well, thank you for coming out. Yeah, it's really exciting. I, I, I grew up in Vancouver, so it's fun to kind of drive out here, and sometimes I forget. The canvas is really beautiful. Oh, I love this downtown. That's why yeah. they opened here. Yeah. I mean, because you know what? People don't realize that who haven't come back across to see Camus in 20 years, which mm-hmm. are most the vast majority of Portlanders, um, don't realize what's here. And they've put so much money into downtown Camus and just the beautification of downtown, all the nice little shops and stuff. People love it out It's here. got a really cool Main Street vibe to it. Yeah. And I think it, you know, it it's has... Main Street USA kind of yeah, right here. It has everything you need from a city, you know, with Portland across the way and Vancouver right next door as well, but you still get that small town feel. You do. And well, you know what, and being that I brewed over in, in Portland uh, for Fatheads, you know, I we kind of grew a, a little following there that have already come across and checked out Camus, people who have never come to Camus or haven't mm-hmm. been in Camus in forever. And were like, I had no idea. And I was like... See, that's, and then that's kind of the part of the reason we did this is, is it needs to be like this down here. Kind of like welcome to the party sort of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm curious because opening a brewery in Camas versus in Portland, and you were in Portland at Fatheads like mm-hmm. you mentioned, what are some of like the positives of it? But also I'm assuming there's negatives from being far out of the city where people are always down there going to breweries versus driving out to Camas. It is. You know what, though? People are starting to realize, and more and more what I think is, and the way I see it is, is there are more and more people who are not from Portland that are moving here, obviously. Um, and so more people are used to traveling a little bit. You know, I'm from Chicago originally, and everywhere you go, you have to travel 25, 30 minutes to go to the store. I mean, you know, it just takes time, and all we are is 20 minutes from downtown. Yeah, I, I, live, I live in North Portland, and I drive to Milwaukee four times a day, four times a week, excuse me, and it takes me the same amount of time as it did to get here. Right. That is true. Right. I mean, I live out in Beaverton. It takes me 30 minutes, 20 minutes to get to work every day. Yeah. It, well, in the four years I've been here, I realized there's this there seems to be this huge disconnect between, you know, thinking you have to come to Washington is like this huge over, you know, the, the huger undertaking. It's the bridge thing. You know, oh, it, I can't cross is. the bridge. I get it. And, you know, I, I, when I first moved here, people would get, talk about the east and the west side of Portland that way. Mm. Oh, I haven't, been to, I haven't been to the west side in four years. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, Portland's like, you know, like a big neighborhood in Chicago. Yeah, basically. You know, and it's like, you got to. Get out of here, man. Go well, kind of on that note, uh, you come. You came to Portland from Cleveland, right? You were Correct. in Cleveland? I was, I was living in Cleveland working for Fatheads. So yeah. you came over when they opened the new Fatheads downtown. What was that like, leaving the Midwest and coming to a brew scene? Because I'll oh, tell you man. this. For some of us in the beer industry, or for at the time, I was just like a beer enthusiast. And I'm not going to lie. We were kind of like... Who are these fatheads guys? Oh, they're gonna, dude, they're we, gonna we open had, a place in downtown. We had oh, three, you make IPAs? Cool. All right. Yeah, we, we we'll had see. three groups boycotting us. Not not because we were um, anything else except for outsiders. Now they were standing in line to, to get into Anheuser Busch or Ten Barrel, mm-hmm. um, and you know, which kind of drove me nuts. I'm like, they're two blocks away and they're waiting to get in, into Ten Barrel, but you know, we're an independent, so it was, you know, what it was. Um, the brewers were amazing. They knew mm-hmm. who we were. Yeah. You know, um, they knew Matt was my boss, Matt Cole. And um, and you guys came with a reputation. We did. And, and that Matt did. You yeah. know, um, I, nobody knew me. Um, but Matt took a chance on me out here. And uh, But people like, you know, uh, Ben Edmonds at Breakside and, you know, uh, Alex Canham and, and Sean Burke. And uh, I can go on with the list. Who were so open to us and so welcoming to us as brewers made us so comfortable yeah. because the outside static was pretty rough. Mm-hmm. I mean, now that I've lived here for four years, um, I get it. You know, um, the snow globe, the protective snow globe that mm-hmm. we live in here. I, I, I like that. I love it. You know, I became hopefully I became part of the fabric of that. Is that the protective snow globe 
because you guys were not a Portland-based brewery that yes. opened a brewery, yes. you got resistance because of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, even... We're from, e- we from Ohio. God forbid. Yeah, you know, even... What, what, you, know, what, what, you know, we have awfully large stuff to come in here and, and you know, think we can be part of the scene. That's, you know, and I kind of took that big chip, put it right on my shoulder. I told everyone to keep their mouth shut. Let's make beer. Yes. Yeah. Don't do anything. Just make beer. As a consumer at the time, this that was kind of my thing. I was like, I don't know about these guys. They're Midwest. They the don't know branding. anything about about how Portland does things. <laughs> you know, we're a very tight-knit beer culture in here, and yeah. we're very, like you said, very protective. Uh, and then it wasn't far off that I was, I was managing a restaurant at the time and uh, a beer buyer and was like, it took me maybe eight months for you guys making beer until I was just banging on the door. Get me some fatheads. Get me some fatheads. I want this beer. It went it's quick. Good. You know what? No, nobody came in the door for like the first four months we were open. Yeah. I mean, like literally. And that's a big place in the heart of downtown. Oh, yeah. Luckily, I didn't you know, hear a lot of pub about it, you know, just from being in the city and knowing breweries. I didn't hear much about it until I walked past it, oddly enough, going to Deschutes because it was down the street. And I was like, wait. What's right this there. place? That what? Yeah, fatheads. And I was like, "What's the menu like?" I was like, that's, was, "Those sandwiches look awesome." Let oh, me go blow, try it. The blowback at first, I mean, you know, like uh, a lot, a couple of the beer writers that we all know here um, were super rough, and um, but you know, they've they've each since then been like, "Yep, we were wrong," you know, um, we, you know, but I, but I get it, you know, and I I appreciate that now. We talked about this last week in our uh, in the podcast when we were talking about culture. Is we kind of brought up the idea of saturation and how. I live. I kind of live and die by this statement that this town, this area, we don't need more breweries. We just don't. The reality is, is that we have enough brew pubs to suffice the demand. However, if you make good beer, we will always drink good beer. Do you have enough good brew pubs? Is the question or good breweries? That's that's a good point. You can have ninety, but right. how many of them are actually how how many would when you have someone come into town? How many can you say? I'm not trying to be negative. How mm-hmm. many can you say? This is a list you have to hit. Yep, you know, and and I hit seven or eight. Yeah, it's not that big of a list. That, that's right. mine. Now, now I could be missing a few others, and you know, things I don't go to quite as often. But I mean, you know, there's there's room, there's room for great beer. Always room for great beer. Yep. Well, that was one of the things that's been fascinating to me since I moved out here seven years ago. Now, is every single month, and I brought this up on the podcast, you find new breweries, and almost, almost none of them fail. Almost none of them close. You have a lot of success stories, or at least a lot that stay afloat mm-hmm. and make money and are, and are able to keep going. It, it blows me away just in this city or in this region, I, su- I suppose, since you're up in, in southwest Washington, how many people will be willing to try a new place multiple times, be willing to support the new place multiple times, even when they have their favorites that they're leaving out for months because they want to go try new places. I did that multiple times, too. No, I get it. Um, we've been lucky to get quite a following from outside of just Camas in the Washougal area. Um, ton of people from Va- Vancouver, and I'm so excited the amount of people I see that I know from being in, you know, brewing in Portland for three years. The amount, the amount of customers that come up on a regular basis. Um, I think people are starting to realize that, you know what, you're going to find yours, you're going to try new stuff, but you're always going to go back and, and lean on, on your favorites. And, you know, people that, you, you know, we've been very lucky that way. Mike Hansaker, the guest on the Beers on Us podcast right now, Grains of Wrath, and you moved here from the Midwest, and you started brewing beer here uh, how many years ago now? Uh, four. Four uh, years ago four, now. Well, four years uh, next in two weeks. Yeah. So this week's podcast was, our, our, was about West Coast IPA, and for the, the beer novice who's listening, you came from the Midwest, which is a different style of IPA than the West Coast mm-hmm. IPA. 
Could you explain in, in layman's terms, I suppose, or as, as easily as you can, the difference between that IPA and what you started brewing out here and what you like about both? Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up in the Midwest, so, you know, I, I was kind of used to, to those styles. I mean, Three Floyds is like the biggest influence in my career, period. You know, yeah. it's one of those, I'll genuflect to that, you know, those, and those are good guys, good friends, and um, that was probably my biggest, that and, and like, Founders yep. um, were some of my biggest influences, because there wasn't a whole lot of craft compared to out West. Um, so, my initial brewing career actually was in Virginia Beach, so going from the East Coast and their IPAs, which are not, were not hazy at the time. To the Midwest, which is a, a hybrid, <laughs> yeah, right. To a, which is kind of a hybrid of West Coast and the East. So um, it's it still has like um, some crystal malt backing on it, but just like half of it. Um, they all run at about seven percent. You know, they're, they're a little higher octane compared to what I started making out here. You know, my biggest influence was you know the West Coast styles, especially San Diego for me. Yeah, you know, Pizza Port was you know uh, Alpine. You know, when I first started getting some beers sent to me, you know, and I first had, before they were they were bought by Green Flash, when I had, like, Duet and Nelson. Windows wow, up. I was like, holy yeah. s***. <laughs> um, it was it literally those kind of things. Um, yeah. You know, and so when I got, um, you know, I got to Fatheads, it was amazing to, to learn from Matt Cole and, and that crew. Um, super passionate, I and mean, that's what just, just drove me. And again, just has a little bit of more more crystal malt, not quite old school Northwest amounts, but um, bigger, heavy Simcoe, you know, kind of Citra kind of flavors. And so when I got out here, they kind of took the you know took the leash off and said, all right, well you know make some of the cores, you know make the ones that sell, and then pretty much I had I had license to do whatever I wanted. So I made the IPAs I wanted to make, you know, which were definitely you know lean malt, you know, just keep it to two or three malts mainly two-row or, uh, or Pilsner malt, and then just let the hops bomb, you know, have a, have a kind of a, you know, a sharp bitterness to it without being too much, and then just let those, those flavors roll. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I took it and kind of made it my own out here, I think. Do you think it's more of an approachable style or more of a chance to showcase the hops? Because we grow so much hops in this, in this region, is it more sure. about showcasing the hops or is it more about drinkability? Maybe of, both of that, yeah. Because yeah, because my IPAs, I mean, you don't see anything up there seven or above, above seven. I think the biggest I, I have is six eight. You know, um, Overkill, which is our number one IPA, is six five. I try to keep everything under seven for the most part. Yeah. Um, just because it's a little bit easier to drink, you know, and you can have more. But also mm-hmm. at the same time, I think it's less malt to overcome, so those hops just stand on their own a little more than they would at seven seven and a half percent. And does that mean? I mean, do you view the really, really high alcohol content IPAs differently? Do you view them negatively because you don't like to brew them? Or no, is no. there a time and place in your mind for There's all of them? There's always a time and place. Um, it's just, uh, you know, at, you know, 7, 7.5% for a single IPA, you know, they get a little meaty. Um, you know, you can only have one or two. You know, 6.5, you can have three. Um, it's a little easier. You know, the malt's a little lighter. Um, so it, it, it's just not weighing on you as much. That's kind of why I would never understood, like, the pushback people have for session IPAs. Simply because, like, they feel like they're being cheated from ABV, and in my mind, I'm just kind of like, "Why well, can I have six of those?" Well, you know, <laughs> honestly, you know, I'll, I, my idea on that is a couple things. I think that is a honestly a really hard style to make. Yeah. Because you have to be able to balance a smaller body, a smaller, a smaller profile altogether, and then still have enough hop without being too much. Right. So I, I think session IPAs were one of those beers that first came out that weren't done very well. 
So people go, oh, it's either way too watery or this is just cloying with hops. You know, so you got to find that balance, which is a lot harder to hit. But you have to say that, I mean, Session IPAs had to have come from the West Coast IPA, yeah. right? Oh, for sure. Because they're, they're basically kind of the same build in the sense just dialed back. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, you look at Lunch Break. Yeah. You know, that's... It's a fantastic <laughs> session. It's one of my favorite beers. In, yeah, in, yeah. The, in the country, I, I mean. try too hard not to uh, not to pump the brand too much, but uh, but I yeah, lunch break. I, I I at this point, that's all I want from people <clears throat> is give me something, whether it's like a hoppy pale or a session IPA, something like that. Give me something that's lower in ABV. Yeah, I mean that's what uh, like paper maker pale for us is a hoppy pale ale. Mm. I mean, really, it's an IPA yeah, essentially, just but a lower ABV yeah, IPA, and that's like. That's like one of our number one sellers, especially in Portland, mm-hmm. actually. I think I sell more of that in Portland than anything else, that and Overkill. And then the Ticklish Warrior, the Session IPA, has become like a, a pretty popular. So it's kind of like that nice to see people kind of like going back to that. That's why I made it in the summer, obviously. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of nice. And we, we've seen, and you mentioned the hazies uh, earlier, we've seen that take over. Mm-hmm. It's countrywide. I feel like it's everyone's making hazy IPAs. Mm-hmm. To me, that seems like Overkill. It's a specific style. Uh, I like going places where every beer is unique and different, and you can try a bunch of different ones and not have one brewery make four different hazies because, sure. hey, this is the style that everyone wants right now. Uh, do you see that stopping with hazy anytime soon? Uh, is there a reason why it blew up so much more than other styles? It was different. I think it was um, <clears throat> my take on it is is because people who didn't like IPAs mm-hmm. got into it. Cause it it's so it, approachable. It is. It didn't, it didn't have any bitterness. So, you know... Um, those who, who know me will laugh listening to this because, you know, I, I was one of those very staunchly, I was staunchly against them. You know, I, you know I, just the, the basic fact calling it IPA. IPA have certain amount of bitterness units and those didn't. And I was, you know, I was more than outspoken about it. Will you marry me, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> I feel the exact same way. Just don't put the letters after it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that was my beef with it, you know, and, and just the fact that the way that people threw themselves at it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. At that time, I didn't hadn't fi- had a, a whole lot that were very well crafted, mm-hmm. and they seemed like this kind of this this mess, you know. And again, a lot of the places that jumped on it early, just you know, I think they were doing it because it was you know it, they, they sold, but it didn't have a whole lot of technique to it. Now you're seeing all these places. I mean, you know, Great Notion came in and killed it. Um, you know, those guys, you know, got lines out the door, but they make one of the best styles of that. In the country, and much they make less a ton of them the too, right? Yeah, they, yeah, that's pretty much what they do for the most part, um, and they do it so well. I mean, Breakside, you know, they 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 broke out with that, you know, and and because um, Ben and I did one of the our, my first hazy was Ben's first. We did a collab called uh, Pulp Free, and it was kind of a a poke at the at the style just mm-hmm. because we had seen so many of them that were just cloying and kind of this aspirin kind of weirdness to it, and then we said, all right, we're you know, we, we had some egg on our face because we were going to make it clear, and it didn't clear up. <laughs> so <laughs> we're both sitting there like, oh, God, oh, you know, we're, we're calling it out. We're poking at it. And we're like, well, you know, let's own it. <laughs> and, and it was one of the fastest-selling beers we ever had. And, you know, we had an event at uh, Growler Guys in the southeast there, and they were um, – uh, people were standing out the door. They went through four kegs in, like, three hours, four hours. Wow. I mean, it was insane. I, um, think, I think the biggest thing that worries me about that style – is its long-term effect on people's palates. And I think you kind of touched on it in the sense of, like, there's a lot of poor practice with it. Yes. And people, you know, there's a lot of things, whether it's, you know, VDK into diacetyl and all that kind of stuff, that people are starting to accept those off flavors 
that we in the industry work so hard to get rid of. Well, do you want to, for those who don't know, what do, what do those flavors mean? Or those VDK and what was it, it diacinol? Yeah, it's, ba- it's, it's basically your yeast dyes. And and it, it creates some off flavors. The biggest off flavor you're going to have is like a buttered popcorn yeah. kind of flavor. It's a, it's a chemical given off during fermentation. And all it takes is that time because the yeast will reconsume it. Um, and sometimes places just push too fast or too hard or I, I don't know. Um, but that, that was one of the first big things, that the issues that I had with it because a lot of them were just like poorly crafted. But then, like I said, you said great notion and, and um, uh, you know, Ben and Jacob over at, at Breakside doing it, and, and a, then a lot more popped up where the qualities are because people were actually learning how to, you know, a lot of it to me was almost like people hadn't brewed before. Um, not saying that was that way. It's just the way it, the, some of the flavors came off to me. Um, but then you started seeing them being done well. Now, my biggest uh, question mark having to do with the style is, let's see what happens with the shelf stability. Mm-hmm. Um, you start putting those on warm shelves at any time? We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Because I just you know because when you have that much uh, you know yeast and, and such in, in suspension, it's a, there's a question mark that we just don't know until time. Do you think West Coast IPAs were like that back yeah. in the day? Like, do you think do you think when West Coast IPAs started becoming a big style, especially as prominent as they were are they now? Cloudy? No, no. I mean, in the sense of just like poorly crafted and missing the mark on stuff, and then we've eventually evolved into. I don't know. See, because because the stuff I got when I was in the Midwest, people would send out to me. Yeah. You know, they were already like. The bad, you know, they're already the, kind the of stable boys, you know, yeah. the bad boys, you know, and people knew how to how to make beer. Stone and Lagunitas, yeah, things like that. Yeah, you know, and and everything, and like I said, Alpine, and you know, all those guys. Um, and, and so no, cause I didn't notice any of that. So I, you know, as an I, I'm only out here four years, mm-hmm. so um, but the beers I got, no, I think was 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 pretty solid. Is there anything you think is sneaking underneath that might take the mantle of hazies in terms of being uber popular across the area because I, I remember I know, last taking year that, taking it but the the brute ipas now are, are uh, actually i just brewed my very first one um i had a, a brewery up here from mexico and we did a um a collaboration and uh it's in the it's fermenting right now the brute ipa style scares me because i'm I assuming I, brute like champagne brute yeah so you're you're, you're you're fermenting it out to basically zero so there's no there's no residual hmm sugar what left what whatsoever there what scares That's me is is i i'm i'm afraid that a lot of these brute ipas are trying to kill the malt game and malt as, i love as, malt as, 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 a, as a as a as a staunch <laughs> as a staunch ipa drinker even yeah. though i am more of a west coast ipa drinker than than say your traditional american ipa that has more of a malt presence uh malt still has a big place in the ipa world yeah. and it worries me that the brute trend coming on uh is trying to kill malt I, I yeah, I, I can see it. Isn't malt I, I never more thought of it that too? way. Well, you want you know it helps balance. Yeah, you know, it gives you, you body, some body, everything, flavor. I mean, you know, malt is the backbone of everything you're drinking. Um, but you know, it. You look at my board. I have one hazy on there. I'll have one brood on there. Yeah. Um, when it comes up, and I'm I'm not, I'm not gonna jump on one bandwagon or another. I like what uh, the beers that I make and more traditional styles and. Being able to see clearly, th- you know, through a nice beer is, is always nice for me. And you know, I'm, I got a pandemic on, which is you know one of our most popular beers, a hazy. And you know what? I'll keep making it because there's a there's a definitely a group of people here that that love them. So I think that's the biggest. I think that's the most important part. Is as much as I don't really love hazy IPAs, I respect people that go about it the right way. You know, <clears throat> whether you're basing it mostly on on your yeast strain and not using a bunch of adjuncts 
it might not be the best hazy, but if you're going to make it in like true traditional, not traditional necessarily, but approaching it in a, I don't know the word I'm looking for, in like a, the correct way, good brewing practices, sure. then I'm okay with it. Yeah. I mean, you know what? It, for me, it was, oh, this is exact. See, I, I, you know, I, I had all these misconceptions in my head about how to do it, mm-hmm. which was basically just take all the technique and all of the, the things I learned and just dump on them in the garbage and, yeah. and then make a you know, crappy beer in my head back then. Um, now, it's like, oh, no, it's the same brewing practices. Um, the, I changed the malt. And then the, you hit the hops a heck of a lot harder. That's a yeah. pricey beer to make. I know. And, and people kind of go, oh, I can't believe I'm pay- spending $18 on a four-pack. Well, if you saw how much it cost me yeah. compared to a normal IPA to make one of those, mm-hmm. you would lose your mind. Which is crazy to me because I don't get as much hop character in hazies. And I think it's because I think it's because it's harder so, to taste the individual hops. I right? think it's because I'm so used to having bitterness, bitterness with like the West Coast. Gives that. Yeah, yes. with the West Coast style, I'm used to having that bitterness. Yeah. So when I don't have that bitterness, I'm kind of like, where are the hops? I know you're using a ton of it, but I want more. I yep. want more. Yep, I agree. Um, but it's uh, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm not going to deviate too far. No, you're good. You know, I'm still old man, so <laughs> old school. One more thing for me. Um, I saw this. I was There was an article that was written on you when you opened this place, mm-hmm. and it said that you were part of a program that got you experimental hops that you could play around with and, and do beers with. What does that mean, and how has that turned well, out for you? Is it are, are all of them good, or some of them mediocre that you don't like to use? Well, or? Yeah, you know what? That's what the whole point is. They're experimental. So, I mean, um, there's, there's a, you know, um, I, I made it a very... Um, a very big point in my career here after moving here to, to they're three hours away that's it is to stay in the face of, of the hop growers and learn about the, the products that are coming out you know see the new ones try to, try to get a, a jump on people who, who, who wouldn't want to um, I made a lot of good friends in Yakima um, and they've been very good to me and, and hopefully I to them with their product and um, so I, I once early on you know you're not allowed to select your own hops um, until you get to a certain size. You've got to buy at least 5,000 pounds of, of the varietal to be able to select it. Well, I'm not that big. But luckily through um, the connections I made while I was here with Fatheads, um, I made enough friends, and, and when um, Hop Union and YCH and Hop Union uh, decided to branch out on that, um, they used a, I was one of the, the groups in a beta program they did, which is now actually excuse me, taking off a little bit. And... Um, we're, we're actually able to pool our numbers together with like a X amount of breweries to pool our numbers together, and now we get to select, Ooh. which people don't realize is so imperative to what we do, especially as IPA brewers. We, you know, if you're buying hops and you don't get to select, you are literally getting what you get. Yeah. And it might not be the same batch from batch to batch can be inconsistent because that's not the same lot of hops. Now I get to select my hops. I know exactly what kind of... Um, profiles. I'm looking for individual hops, which might not be the, exactly what the guy next to me is looking for, but we all have a basic idea. And um, and now I can know what I can count on consistently, brew after brew, because I'm getting that same lot every time. And that is, um, you know, if you've ever heard any of me in any of my inter- other interviews, you know, raw materials is is imperative. It is is number one. Um, technique obviously is there, but once you can select your 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 hops and, and use the right malts. It's uh, you're on the right track. Two two questions, like twofold on this. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite hop to work with? Oh, man. Not necessarily to drink, but to work with. 
Oh, man. That's I know. It's kind question. of a loaded question. It is a loaded question. Um, you know, coming from the Midwest and being a little more old school, I mean, you know, you can never go wrong with, like, Simcoe. Yeah. You know, I'm old school Simcoe. <laughs> so I know everyone loves Citra. Yeah. Um, I like Citra. I, uh, Mosaic is one of my favorites, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think you can sprinkle, you know, between Simcoe and Mosaic, I think you can sprinkle that on thing, a mediocre beer and make it really good. And you can make a really good beer. Great. Would you say those are your favorite to taste as well? I'm wonder, I'm, I guess I'm wondering if, if there's something I'm, you like working with or if there's something I when like, you're outside that you prefer to well, drink. Well, there's both. Um, I, you know, I like being able to use those, those hops to kind of tie in everything. I use either one or both those hops in almost every beer. Um, or, or even Simcoe Citra Mosaic. That, you know, there's your holy trinity to me. Mm. Um, and then you branch out from there. But I use, actually, I've started using a lot of um, uh, Southern Hemisphere hops, a lot of Australian and New Zealand hops. A that's lot. my jam. Um, that's <laughs> my jam big if you time. Look at, I mean... <coughs> Um, you know, Overkill, my number one IPA, that is Simcoe Mosaic Galaxy. Yes. Um, EGA, Evil Woman Anchor IPA, um, is, what is that one? That's uh, Simcoe <laughs> Citra Nelson Savan. Ah. And so, you know, um, and so it, it goes on. Ticklish Warrior's got a new one called Enigma, which I'm really digging. It's hard to get. Yeah. They're so hard to get. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't have, you know, I know people. I don't know that many people. Uh, I'll finish with, with one last question for you, Mike. Um, the West Coast IPA means a lot to me. You know, it's my favorite style. It's what kind of got me into craft beer big time. Where do you see this style in 10 years? Do you see it just getting perfected? Do you see any kind of evolution from it? I think this is going to be our stalwart. Yeah. Um, it'll never go anywhere. Um, people are going to love this. We, we, you know, the last 15 years have been about making great West Coast style IPA people that is part of who they are now i think as beer drinkers now they'll branch out they'll mm -hmm. grab brute they'll grab uh the hazies um and and whatever else comes down the pike i guess i have these new rose or you know have temper neo or something like stop that. i'm gonna lose my mind yeah, so, <laughs> you know but I, I think that's i don't think that's gonna go anywhere yeah. i think you know um i think certain breweries will fall by the wayside if you can't you still will have to make a great IPA. So you think it's important that any brewery that opens up, whatever anchor. kind of your thing, yes. you have to I mean, put out know, some quality I mean, West there's, Coast. There's amazing breweries that didn't make IPA that just, you know, it, sometimes it, you know, it, it hurt their business. Yeah. Um, uh, Monkish. You know, Henry down there is making some of the best Belgian styles and some of the best fooder beers, and no one cared at all in L.A. Yeah. No one cared. And he, he was struggling. He even had a sign on his place that said, no MSG, no IPA. <laughs> <laughs> and when he realized that he was struggling, yeah. he went and turned to the, the Hazy. And now he's like one of the more profitable businesses and breweries in, in SoCal. Um, and it's just in Orange County. And it's just, you know, it is what it is, man. Does you got to have an IPA. Does that worry you that you have to have an IPA? No. I can make. Is one. it because we like? No. <laughs> is it because we like IPAs? I mean, there is something I, 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 to be said. I wasn't like, trying to be trying to be like. Oh, I you know, didn't think I, you were, I, but you know. No, I, I you know, no. Um, you gotta have IPA. I mean, I've got. Let me see. It's like I got like fifteen beers up there, and I think one, two, three, four, five, six of them are IPAs or variations of IPAs. Yeah. Um, no, um, and three of those are the top three sellers that I have, and then it's a then thank God it's a pilsner after that. So. Yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere. Mike Hunsaker, Grains of Wrath, thanks for having us out here, man. Much appreciated. Thank you for coming. And uh, come out here. It's on Northeast 
5th. Yes, it's right on 30 Northeast 5th Avenue. When Kansas. you get off the exit for Canvas, it's basically right after the mill. You can't, you can't miss it. it. Yeah, It's extremely easy to get here. The beer's fantastic. The food is great. The environment's awesome. Big outdoor patio. It's a metal brewery, outside. baby. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, highly, highly recommend it. Thank you, Mike. Hey, for thanks for coming us. out, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks again to Mike Hunsaker for stopping by, talking some beer with us. And that leads us right into our Beer of the Week segment. So I talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast. I stopped by the Pearl District location of Von Ebert this week. And whenever I go to a new brewery or any brewery, really, I like to start with the dark beer first because I love dark beers. I Love the flavor profile, and it's my favorite. So if I'm only going to have one beer, which is rare, but if I'm only going to have one, I'll start with a dark beer. And then I go light later. I like to go IPA second. I don't know why. It's 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 just what I do. See, and that's <laughs> the craziest thing for me. I'm, I'm probably the exact opposite. I like to either start with like a good old-fashioned IPA or maybe like a Hellas Lager. That's kind of where I like to get going. And then if I want to do a dark beer at the end, I very much treat it traditionally like a like a dessert beer in that sense. I, don't, I, ne- I rarely do massive pours. Um, I think I just like to drink too much. And if I start with these big ones, then it's kind of like, bye-bye day. Well, kind of like how today is going to be. Well, we'll be fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm just scared. I need an adult. So this was the, the one that caught my eye on their menu when I went in. It was mm-hmm. called the OPM. I'm going to read what they had straight off the menu. Mexican stout aged in bourbon barrels and infused with ancho chilies. It is 12% ABV. And thank you to Molly from Behind the Bar for filling this uh in a crowler for me, much appreciated so that we could do it on the podcast. And when I, when I first drank this beer at the brewery this weekend, the thing that hit me was depth of flavor. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of the time stouts are just heavy, right? They're the, you taste them and they're rich and I, I like rich food. I like rich drinks. It doesn't affect me like it does other people, but you know, it's there. This one had layers, a lot of layers of flavor. So I poured it out for us. I want to, Try to practice what we did last week. You've got the nose, mm-hmm. you've got the front end, mm-hmm. you've got the middle, and you've got the back end. That's how I like to. That's how I like to to view my palate. It's kind of like a story. Well, it seems correct to me. Yeah, it's kind of like I kind of like to view it as a story. It's almost like the nose is the cover of the book, you know, and you're kind of like looking at the book cover of the book, and you're like, okay, that sounds interesting, or uh, I don't know about that. And then the book opens, and you got a beginning, middle, and end. So smelling it right now. It smells very sweet, so I kind of smell the bourbon in there a little bit. I smell a little bit of the chocolate, too. I, I can tell that it's going to be a Mexican stout, a chocolatey kind of bourbony stout mm-hmm. right off the nose for me. Yeah, you can get you get spices right off the bat, which kind of leads towards that Mexican that Mexican coffee stout style. Uh, and I get the, the, the chilies kind of are like tickling my nose hairs in the back. And for me, sometimes when there's that that kind of little extra adjunct, like adding the chilies into it, if there's a subtleness in the nose, all of a sudden, for me, that's all I pick up. It's kind of just like, oh, these chilies are here. These chilies are here. I'm really excited. So take the sip because, for me, the back end is the chili. That's what gets me to come back to take another sip of this beer is the fact that it gets a little little tingly, a little spicy in the back of your tongue and your throat, and you're like, oh, I need to wash that down. I need to cool it off a little bit. It's not overly spicy, of course, but... It just gives you that little tingle at the end, which to me kind of creates this over and over drinkability of this beer that is that makes it so deep. I think I, I agree with you. I just took a sip and 
you definitely taste the chilies kind of lingering in the back end. And tickle, to keep using this word, is kind of kind of really the best way to describe the chili profile in this because, I mean, it being a stout, there's so there's, you know, you have chili beers and then you have stouts with chilies. There's kind of a, a difference there to where chili beers are trying to kind of like give you that burn. And I don't get that burn from this. I think it has a really nice complimentary part of the chilies kind of in that back end that you're kind of right. It's it's almost like why they serve popcorn and peanuts in bars because they're salty and it wants you to go back and drink another beer. That is what I think is working really well with this is, yeah, you're getting that little chili on the back end that's like, oh, man, that's great. And I can feel it kind of just lingering there. Oh, I should take another sip. And then it just keeps you going and going and going. So the front end is tough for me. Just taking the sip again. It's big. It's bold, that's for sure. But, I mean, you're going to get that. That's that barrel characteristic. I think that's the bourbon right in the Mm -hmm. front. You taste it immediately from the barrel. And it kind of is like, okay, I know we're we're, we're barrel-aged right now. This is perfect. And uh, I think that's what you get in the front, for sure. So you got nose is chili, sweet, bourbony chocolate. Front end is the bourbon. Oh, yeah. Back end is the chilies. Yeah, a little lingering. The middle is tough for me to figure out. what, What I'm really liking about this middle is it's, this is extremely smooth. So once you get it, once you get past that that bourbon characteristic, not that you're like trying to skip it, but once you move past that part of the flavor, I feel like it just kind of instantly smoothens out and kind of settles down. And I think that's adding to the part where why it's so kind of smooth on that back end is because that middle body is soft, it's palatable, it's it's creamy. It the the richness, the barrel barrel character kind of calms down a little bit. That's interesting. Now that I took another sip of it when you were saying that, I do. I, it's, it is very smooth. It, it makes it way more drinkable than a lot of other barrel-aged stouts, which mm-hmm. are just, they're sipping beers. They're like, you yeah. got to drink it slowly. This is way more drinkable to me because of that. It almost reminds me, not in flavor, of course, but in the way it feels of a cream ale. Oh, yeah. Just I can see that. smooth, right through the middle. You're like, okay. That's it's like drinking a, a very basic drink. Like it's not like drinking water, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's like drinking water. It's easy. It, it's just you're drinking it and you're having a good time. There's there's really great. I mean, when you look at it and when we cracked it, when you pour it, there's definitely some great carbonation levels in it. But I think that might be adding to part of that creaminess that it's almost like I'm not a big fan of beers on nitro because I like um, I like uh, carbonation a lot. Uh, but it does kind of feel like. And I think, you know, because sometimes people put cream ale on nitro, and I do kind of feel that little smoothness taste that it's almost just kind of really settled out. So did I pick a dark beer that you like? Because this is, you've told me you like dark beers, but mm. you almost never choose dark beers. Is this one that kind of hits you in that Yeah, spot? yeah, well done. I really like this. I mean, we are drinking out of a pint glass, which kind of scares the bejesus out of me, but... Uh, well, I didn't fill it all the way. <laughs> but, I'm uh, sorry, I don't own snifters in my house. <laughs> but uh, but no, I enjoy this. I think this is a very well-made beer, and I think I think those folks down at Von Eber did a great job with this. I mean, these beers are expensive, they're labor-intensive, but they're also time. You know, they take a lot of time to do, and... Anytime you're going to put something into a barrel, there is some risk involved. Um, and I don't know if they blended from different barrels or any other bases or if this was all one batch thrown in different barrels and then thrown back together. Uh, but this is nice. It's really it's really complimentary to the palate uh, for someone that doesn't drink a ton of this style. I dig it. Um, I, could, I can see myself drinking more of this. And as someone who does drink this style as much mm-hmm. as I can, and if I find new ones, I always try them. 
This one was a rare one for me where I just went, wow, I need to drink this again. Mm-hmm. A lot of, I, that's not to say the other ones I wouldn't drink again. Yeah. I like them. They're good. I would go back to them again. This one has the qualities that make me excited to drink it again. Yeah. And that, to me, is purely complimentary of what Von Ebert did. They're brand new. They opened up in the old fat head space in mm-hmm. the Pearl. This is where I, this, that's where I went. They also have a location northeast Gleason and Glendevere. Already two locations this early. It's really fast. And uh, bravo to you guys for for making this kind of a beer because it is it is mind blowing to me. Yeah, brief history on Von Ebert. They're in the old fat head space. They are under the same ownership as the fat heads that was there. That was a franchise. They kind of got out of that, started their their own kind of thing. But there's uh, I know when when fat heads closed. Outside of the, you know, the brew staff had some had some changeover, uh, but I the rumor I heard, and I I hope I'm not incorrect on this or speaking out of line, but uh, that most of the front of house stayed on, like they kind of transferred them over, so it wasn't like a massive layoff or anything, which is always great. That's part of kind of what we talked about last week about how great this community is, is that even though something happens, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that everyone loses their job. So there's our beer of the week. It is Von Ebert's OPM. It is a Mexican stout, which is bourbon barrel aged and infused with ancho chilies. Go check them out. This beer is delicious. You're going to get it in a snifter, of course, unlike our pint glasses, which are going to be a regretful decision soon, I have a feeling. But uh, good thing I don't have to go to work today. (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. What? Work? What's work? Um, So thanks so much for listening. That's it for episode two of our podcast remember wherever you found us rate us review us we really really appreciate it and coming up next week we are going to do our first podcast takeover Mm -hmm. on location and we are going to go to stormbreaker brewing we're going to go to their new location in st john's i'm really excited about this i've been to the stormbreaker on mississippi a million times i remember when it was amnesia i went there a million times uh and i have not been to the st john's location so i will do my best to make sure I do not go before we do this podcast so I can actually have like a because it's been on my list to go to, but I it's just a first time experience. But I would love to like, yeah, do the podcast in a first time experience. So that's going to be next week. We're going to try to do one podcast takeover a month and kind of just borrowing on the idea of if you go to like a, a growler a growler place uh, and they do tap takeovers mm-hmm. and the entire entirety of their taps is all one brewery kind of want to do that with our podcast yeah so when we go to stormbreaker we'll drink stormbreaker beer we'll talk stormbreaker we'll talk with someone from talk with someone there and uh that'll be kind of the trend every uh once a month we'll go we'll go to one place yeah i think it sounds fun and if you guys have any suggestions or any place you'd really like to hear about you can you know reach out to us mike's on twitter mike lynch 27 you can find me pdd085 uh yeah if there's something you guys are really interested if it's a if it's the new von ebert location or if it's a or if it's an old school staple like a bridgeport or somebody like that you know let us know and we're open to any kind of suggestions we'll be back next week around four o'clock on thursday thanks so much for listening guys deuces T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.